brought to you by Chill Fit Cryo. Are you suffering from sports injuries, chronic pain, sleep disorders, or depression? Are you willing to try something that only requires three minutes of your time? Then you need to get some cryotherapy from Chill Fit Cryo in your life. Our friends at Chill Fit Cryo in Tempe, Arizona have been helping people with these issues for over 10 years. I've actually been seeing them for over five years to help me with injury prevention and rapid injury repair. When I tore cartilage in my ribs before a pajama wrestling tournament, Paul and his team got me back on the mat as quickly as possible. Uh, my drugs of choice are full body cryo and the cryo zone. Chillfit Cryo has allowed me to sleep better due to my shift work and also recover faster from workouts. Some of the benefits of cryotherapy include reduced inflammation and flushing toxins from the body, increased blood circulation and increased energy, improved sleep quality, targeted rapid injury repair, decreased fatigue and soreness, and a bunch of other things. Chillfit Cryo, recover, reset, restore. They're located on University and the 101 in Tempe. You can find more information about them at their website and on Instagram at chillfitcryo.com. That's C-H-I-L-L-F-I-T-C-R-Y-O. Chillfit Cryo, recover, reset, restore. All right, welcome back. Uh, here we are uh, today with uh, um, a guest on the Make the Difference podcast that I have been looking forward to having for quite a while. Somebody that actually means a ton to me, uh, means a ton to my career in the Phoenix Fire Department, and uh, somebody who I got to work with very or work for actually very early in my career, and and uh, and somebody who's actually really relevant to the Phoenix Fire Department right now because he's the senior most member of the of the Phoenix Fire Department, and he happens to be getting ready to retire in the next 60 days or so. And uh, and I think, David, you said uh, August 26th, it'll be yes. 47 years? 47 years, 74. That's, that's so more time badass. than we have on this fucking earth. <laughs> Me? Yeah, not you? All right, yeah. So, uh, so uh, we'd like to welcome David Sanchez uh, into uh, the Make the Difference podcast, and we're kind of kind of go through his story and I'm really excited to hear about kind of his perspective and and uh, and really his story is how the hell do you get to yeah. to have 47 years on the job cuz I don't think I'm going to make it to 47. Yeah, and this is going to be a 12-hour <laughs> podcast for all of you guys know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Us to, us to get, get through 47 years yeah. kidding and it'll uh-huh. always be <laughs> charge your phone batteries if you're listening. Yeah, for sure. Sit all tight right. on this one. So, uh, welcome David. Thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. Oh yeah, so so let's kind of get into it. Um, uh, so yeah, so tell tell us about tell us about your early days. What uh, where were you born? Are you from here? Kind of kind of uh, let some set some foundation here. Yeah, I was born here, born and raised. Uh, stayed all my life. Um, early part of my life was at Sixteenth Street in Southern. Okay, and then the family moved up to Twenty Seventh Avenue in Camelback. Got it. Um, went to Catholic school, twelve years. It's making a lot of sense now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where Where'd you um, go, dude? I went to St. Gregory's at Nineteenth and Osborne, and then oh, yeah. to um, Borgade Catholic, which was now it was a sister school for Gerard, right, on the east side. Um, where Where is Borgade again? Thirty First Avenue in Hazelwood. Okay. All right. That's right. Yep. Um, graduated there. Went to Glendale Community College. Um, Kind of thought I might want to be an attorney or a um, cop. 
So I went to Glendale Community College for a while um, with that intent and got involved with um, the police recruit, no, police trainee program. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to work, go to school. Is it for the city of Phoenix? Yeah, or? city of Phoenix. Okay, city of Phoenix, right. So was, Anybody in your family, cops or attorneys no. or anything? No, I was the only one. My, I have um, a brother that's older. He's an air traffic controller and two sisters that are nurses, but nobody was in the law enforcement field oh, anywhere okay. in the family. So I was always the odd person <laughs> in, in many ways. But in any case, um, I got hired by the police department just by happenstance because I thought that the police department would work with my schedule going to school. Uh, okay. And so I could be doing some things. Well, it turned out that wasn't the case. They're not real flexible, are they? No. Well, not in my case at that time. <laughs> okay. And so... Um, it came about to where I was working um, and going to school, and then it just turned to work because I was working like graveyard. Uh, and okay. I was at a substation, and I was getting some riding time, much like what our cadets and young people do when they're riding along. Yeah. So I was getting some experience, and then um, some administrative things happened in terms of they moved me to an administrative position. I was didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, just didn't come together the way that I had thought it was going to be. And so then I had uh, resigned. And in the meantime, when I'm out in the field, I had gotten to see the fireside because frequently there'd be fires. Was, I was working out of the station at 24th Street in Buckeye. So we saw some fires, saw the fire operation. When I resigned, I went right across the street to the city personnel <laughs> and applied for the fire department. So when did you start working for Phoenix PD? What year? It would have been 1970, would have been December 71. Right on. So what did the police department look like then? Um, Pretty white. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. It, there was... There was Mexicans were there. <laughs> there, was, there was diversity there, but, but then remember, it's a 24th Street in Buckeye, so that you're on yeah. the south side, so they kind of wanted you to look like the population, and so that kind of worked. Um, pretty militaristic. Yeah. Yes or no, sir. Ties, everything high and tight, and and that was kind of that was okay. I mean, I could deal with that. Yeah. Right. My my parents raised me pretty much like that too. Is you did or else? You know what I mean? Did they have? How long was the academy back then? Well, the academy was like three months, but I was only eighteen, and so I had to wait. I was going to be a trainee for like two and a half years until I got close to 21 so I could go to the academy and then come out as an, an, uh, an officer. Got it. All right. And so 10 months in, whatever, however many, eight months in, six months in, it didn't work out. So then I applied for the, the fire department and waiting to get hired. Um, I was working out, but I was working at a school supply warehouse that I'd worked at in high school. Uh-huh. And so um, when I got the call, um, it was summer of 74 and so we started august of um 70 74 um, and i should say that i got hired as a red shirt the red shirts today yeah yeah uh-huh. they had that all the way back then yeah they were called 202 drivers in because that was your car designation was 202 car oh, 202 okay, okay. Yeah. and we just delivered stuff how many were there there was four okay um david orpeza was one he was a boxer world-class boxer yeah a guy named don tijma I know Don. And Kim Cotmer. 
And so we wow, I know all those guys. Ke- I worked Ke- with all those guys. Is that yeah. Kevin's dad or Kevin? Yeah, Kevin's, yeah. Dad. Kevin's dad. Nice. And so and so um, we were there and we'd deliver stuff and we we're at Old Station One, and um, we waited to go to the academy. So in August we went to the academy. It was only two weeks at that time. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, awesome. But she would go two weeks, learn hose lays, ladders, do the kind of things you needed to do to function, and then you'd be put out at a station for like three months, okay. two months. Yeah. And then you come back for two more weeks, and I think we did EMS, and then went out two more weeks, and then we came back into fire prevention, and that. So my first station was ladder four with Doug Denton, and that was when they had an old snorkel. So it was the only. Is that the one that actually fell? Ended up falling, years later. I think so. At behind station one. Yeah, didn't it like collapse on uh, Rockwitz? Rockwitz's, Rockwitz's van or yeah. something? Yeah, somebody's van. Oh yeah, yeah. awesome. He had yeah. tricked out. Yeah. He had a tricked out van, and he was sad <laughs> after <laughs> after it fell. I think that's kind of an oxymoron. Tricked out van. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a term back then. So I, yeah. I date myself. Yeah. Um, and so and so then we came back to the academy. And then I went to um, it was a ladder four, and then I did engine four at the same time. Okay, because Billy yeah. Jean Shields was. Um, the captain. That's Billy. That's Billy Shields' dad. Okay. Yeah. That's his dad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, how many stations then? Oh, I don't know. They got. They had probably thirty-five, forty. That sounds about right. No SCBAs, right? We just no. gotten SCBAs. Had just gotten those. Yeah. Okay. And so that was kind of a big thing, and guys weren't liking them. As a matter of fact, because um, they're for pussies. Is that why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and seriously, that was the case. I mean, because <laughs> air pack, SCB is an air pack. Yeah. So. Joe Petrucci um, had a canister mask before the SCBAs. Okay. And he wore it underneath his coat, and he had a little tube, almost like a like an, a small volume nebulizer tube. Yeah. Mouthpiece. He'd put it in. He had goggles, and he would go in, and he could stay in longer, deeper than anybody else because everybody else was coughing and hacking. Jeez. Yeah. So he was kind of ahead of his time in that regard. And that was old Station 4 there, right where the Deck Park Tunnel is now. Yes. Uh, what is it, First Street? First Street and Fillmore, I think. Yeah, was. Hey, okay. Yep. Moreland. Got it. And it was right behind um, the Bela store, but also was right next to the KTR Station 12, Channel 12. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. And then after that, I went to Station 29, which is uh, 44th Street in Washington. Yep. And that would exit right off onto Washington. And they had a ladder, too, and an engine. And we spend time on the engine and the ladder. Yeah. The engine captain was a guy named Joe Archer. And he was, um, I was really scared to go there because everybody was scared because he was the guy that fired people. Yeah, because back then a captain could fire a probationary firefighter, right? Yeah, he would tell you, report to station one and make sure you take your gear. And that was that. That, that was a sad. <laughs> yeah, sad day. right. <laughs> yeah, it was a sad day. Uh-huh. So um, we went there, and really, all he wanted you to do was know your equipment. So he had a reputation for keeping guys up at night till ten o'clock. I remember on several occasions we had to wear a breathing apparatus to clean the house and breathing air. And he wanted you to get used to it. He wanted you to stick a face piece in. Yeah. Well, it wasn't bad. Until you got a call, and then your bottle was empty. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to scurry about and, and replace bottles. So we kind of got that down. But once he did what he expected, I, he was cool. And, I mean, he treated us well. 
The latter captain was a, a, a gentleman named Sal can tell me. Pat can tell me his dad. Okay. Yeah. You fucking see it all, dude. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so um, they were good captains, and they knew what they knew about firefighting, and that's kind of where we learned from. And Billy Jean and and uh, or Captain Shields and, and and Captain Denton, they were they taught us a lot, and and you learn that they were picked for a reason. Then. Um, my third rotation was at Engine 24, and that was the new engine, new station 24. Okay, where 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 it is right now? Yes, yeah, yeah, Virginia like 43rd. Yep, yep. that station looks like it's 47 years old. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's aged more yeah. than 47 yeah. years. <laughs> it's been it's been ridden hard. <laughs> right. Um, and the captain there was a, a, a gentleman named uh, Dwayne Jones. He they call him DA DA Jones. Okay, and he was really really. Um, Concrete. <laughs> Another word for a pain in the ass and, and stubborn. <laughs> and and um, had to have things almost maybe obsessive compulsive. And and I recall as um, as a as a boot, David Zoa was the senior firefighter. And That's awesome. He was an interesting devil. Oh yeah, they were all good him. firemen. Yeah, all oh, good yeah. firemen. Um, so I learned a lot. But um, they had different personalities, and it wasn't uncommon for station day was Saturday. David would say, we got station day, okay, so we'd mow the lawn, we'd do all the kinds of things we needed to do, and then he'd take a break, and that break might last six or eight hours. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> but then we'd, have, but then we'd be cleaning the apparatus for our windows at 11 o'clock. Oh, night. fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out on that. Um, and I remember I got in trouble a couple of times. I thought I was going to be fired for a couple of things. One was... They used to have soda machines in stations. Yeah. Well, this one had a big box upright, and it had slanted shelves so that you'd open a glass window and you'd pull the bottle yeah. out, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. and the next one would roll down. <laughs> well, we had to clean all the dust off the bottles when we filled it, okay. and we had to time it so that whenever the next bottle would roll down, it would roll down, and you could read... What flavor it was? Was this on C shift? No, it B shift. <laughs> <laughs> All my career is B shift, and I didn't change shifts until I went to I became captain, and that was I went to A shift. Okay, but I didn't do that one time, and uh, I got called in the captain's office. He, you know, you didn't you didn't turn the bottles in. You turn the bottles. In. So the bottles were filled. They were dusted. And so David Zoe forgot to tell me that. <laughs> so, so not Zoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's because uh, those bottle machines. My dad was telling me back when they were kids. They used to open it up, pop the top off it, put a straw in it, and drink all the soda out of it, yeah. and then take <laughs> off. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was like what the old school thugs used to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one time we got called in the office because we were sitting on the fence that was on the north retaining wall between the departments. Yeah. <laughs> and um, got called in the captain's office because we looked like a bunch of crows sitting up on a perch. This and is so, some serious shit, David. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was way serious because that was the that was yeah yeah. And Can you then, imagine that if someone called you right now? I'd I'd be laughing so hard. <laughs> I can't even control myself. Well, it was crazy. Um, the last encounter was um, we were at lunch, no dinner, and David Zoa had some goofy joke. And they also happened that it used to be a battalion station, so Battalion 3, a, a chief named um, 
They called him Tussie Hall, but I can't remember what his first name was. Yeah, I've heard the name. I, I Chief don't, Hall. Don't know him, yeah. And he was older, and he was very, very rigid. And um, they pulled the prank on him. And I remember <laughs> we had worked hard that day for whatever reason, and we had ribs, and I was hungry, and we had to wear our shirts. We had to wear our button-down shirts. Oh, like your uh, class Light blue, yeah, yeah, with badges. And light blue yeah. with the badge and the name yeah. tag and the patches on both sides. And uh, That's what I make my crew wear to, to dinner. <laughs> I, was, I was eating the ribs, and I had sauce on my face. <laughs> Get good beef afterwards. And they pulled the prank, and everybody started laughing, and I smiled. And the chief glared at me because I looked like a slob. <laughs> and I was laughing at the joke. These guys were so proper back then. Yeah. And so he picked his plate up, emptied more than half of the food he didn't eat into the garbage. And then he went to his office and he called the captain. Captain Jones, report to my office, please. And these guys were, they were giving me the business. Says, oh, I mean, you're going to be fired. Get your stuff together. We'll help you. We'll drive you down or whatever else. But, but nothing ever came of that. So. Right. Then I went to Station 18 after that, and that was, um, now I think it's a printing place, but it was right next to the pizza place on 23rd Avenue, no, like 21st Avenue. Yeah, east of where the station is now. Right. Yeah. So you emptied right on on Camelback. And um, the captain was Leonard Banco, and he was a former union president back in the day when it was more picnics and those kinds of things rather than any politically okay. motivated or activation yeah, activated yeah. kind of place. And he was good. He taught me a lot, but um, it was it was an interesting process that whole time because every day you went to work, you were kind of concerned that, you know, is this the day where I do just the right thing at the wrong time, the right. wrong thing at the right time, <laughs> and now, and you know, I got a couple of kids, brand new baby, and I'm thinking, geez, you can't hardly mess this up. How many guys got that phone call, like, grab your shit, go to Station 1? I think a couple of guys got it from my academy. Uh, one happened out of the academy where um, he'd been having problems throughout his probationary stints. And so another thing that they did was they'd um, bring you down the two weeks and then they'd make you go through fires again. Okay. And sometimes the fires, I mean, there was, it's not like it is today. You know, you have parameters by establishing fire, fire setters and that kind of stuff. And sometimes fires got a little bit maybe out of control. And sometimes that tested what you did. And if you kind of did the wrong thing, you got burned up a little bit. And so that was kind of one of those things that just happened. And I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just built parameters. And so put it this, 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 how many pallets, whatever. Yeah. So how many people were in your class, David? I think probably 26. Okay, so that's a decent Decent size. Yeah, Yeah. that's small. Especially for the size of the department at the time, right? right. And, uh, and then who were the RTOs? We had different ones. Um, Harry Beck, senior. Um, Jim Walker, they call him gymnasium, so he's the one who's related to Mo Walker. Yeah, he grew up uh, right behind where my, my dad and him grew up, oh, uh, yeah. right next to each other over off Clarendon and 19th Ave. Um, the guy who did EMS was um, Bill Douglas. He was, a, I think, the ladder captain at, on, uh, on, at 20. The obvious EMS pick, the ladder captain. I've turned that down several times. <laughs> <laughs> they had an idea that they were going to go ALS yeah. even back then. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. He's a real forerunner. <laughs> forerunner. <Yeah. laughs> um, and then um, 
Actually, the last time we went, we only went back for final evaluation one day, and they canceled the two weeks. So the third, the fourth two-week session, it was done. <laughs> wow. just went out. You know, I recall it was kind of funny because we finished the academy the first, the first two-week period on a Friday, and uh, they gave us our assignments. They said, okay, Sanchez, Norwood, Brian, you're going to engine ladder four. Uh, it's 3.30 now. They eat probably about 5, so if you call, maybe they'll have food for you. <laughs> oh, you wow, you're going right yeah. to the station yeah. right then? Right. No graduation, no nothing. And I remember one of the guys asked him the day before, you know, is this our graduation? Are we going to have, have a graduation ceremony? And one of the RTOs guys said, yeah, we're going to have the fire department band there and everything for you. <laughs> uh, parade. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like back then they, they, they left it up to the crews to kind of train you guys in. Like they give you a little introductory yes. and then, hey, like the crews are responsible for making sure right. you know your job. So what they, so Dave, what, how'd they, how did the crews work it? Because I, I don't, I think the call volume might have, you know, was a little bit different, I think, mm-hmm. than now. So was it structured? Was it just up to what, whatever was going on that day? It was structured only from what they had done previously and what they'd evolved to. And so um, everybody had a good plan. It wasn't consistent. Um, ladder 9A or station 9A shift did something than station 9B shift. Got it. But they did it and... It, it's interesting because however haphazard it may have been or seemed, everybody learned the same stuff. They learned how to use nozzles. They learned how to use patterns. They learned how to use the flow. Um, it, it was just kind of interesting. And, and back then, we didn't have hoods. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I was working in my garage cleaning some things. I get rid of some stuff. And so I found my first Bullard helmet, those little black fiberglass ones. And they used to give you a – they called it a, a headliner, but all it was was imagine a World um, War One, maybe two, um, aviators cap. You pull it tight. <laughs> That's savage, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. I still got it. It's wow. in my helmet. Oh yeah. wow! And it was made of flannel, green flannel, dark green flannel, forest green, probably to hide the dirt. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That was an army issue thing. Yeah, they, yeah, they just recycled but you, it. You put that up into your helmet, and that was that was the only ear neck protection you had. <laughs> Yeah. I bet that worked well. Yeah. Well, and then you learned. I mean, it might be a little bit too hot, and it wasn't uncommon. A guy's got blistered ears, neck. Yeah. Yes. And the gloves that we had, you know the, the work gloves we had? Mm-hmm. Those were our firefighting gloves. That was <laughs> so, it, huh? So guys would get burned through the, you know, how the leather oh, band yeah. comes across the knuckles. You get burned here on your fingers on the backs and whatever else. So it was interesting, but but you learned. And, and I don't know that that was good or bad. It just was because then... When we started getting no makes hoods and all this stuff, then you even find yourself getting a almost feel like you're immortal hmm. because you're covered, and guys were going in deeper and stuff, and um, that became a little bit deal. But the hoods were kind of an issue because don't know if you remember uh, a firefighter named Ed Sobosinski. Oh yeah, he came from Calumet City, Illinois, and he was a firefighter there. He's a Marine. Yes, he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he had a hood. And everybody thought he was a wimp because he had a hood. That attitude changed when Joe Petrucci embraced it. And then so everybody he was the, had to he have was the, he, he might have been one of the organizational, or was one of the organizational barometers, I guess. Yeah. At that time, huh? Joe, yeah, Joe was, you know, I mean, Joe Petrucci, Tony Fortino's, Jim Grody, 
um, Don Shores, um, Wes Powell, all those guys were identified. However goofy people might have perceived them, they were known to be good firemen. Right. And I was just fortunate to be involved with a lot of them. I mean, it was, it was really kind of how you learn. And you didn't stay around very long if you didn't learn. If, if you don't know something, that's great. If they teach you and you learn it, great. If they teach you, you don't learn it, can't learn it, don't want to learn it, different story. Bah. Right? Yeah. Pretty much. Time to go. Yeah. And so, you know, it was march or die. <laughs> so, so hold on. <laughs> yeah. You're saying there's accountability back then? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah, you know, and, and <laughs> the accountability was such that march or die, if you don't do what's expected of you or asked of you, then you might be seeking your happiness and employment somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. that was that was the thing. And so most guys did it, you know. I mean... You mean we're not entitled to the job, David? Well... I, I was raised, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just seems like that. There might have been some impo- uh, some uh, um, terms of uh, a requirement uh, to yeah. be a firefighter back then. Yeah. 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 Um, I think we still have them you know, somewhere. And, and there, was, there was people, I mean, there was legacies came on, and, and yeah. they, they towed the line, too. I mean, it's sure. just kind of, it's a family name, and so you did, you did what you needed to do, and it was just a different time. But, no, it was good, and I got done with probation and... Um, then I went to Station 16. Um, I roved around for a minute, and then one of the people who was my supervisor, his name was Fred Earl, and he was a captain. And um, Harry Beck was also at Resource Management, um, who was one of our supervisors. Fred became the captain on Engine 16, and he asked me to come and be the firefighter there. So I went there and was driving and learning some things, and then um this is 75 1975 would have been 75 yeah and so then um ems was kind of becoming a big deal because in 74 that's when they passed the paramedic legislation and we could have paramedics right and that's when the dirty dozen started coming about. When it all got yep. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was all good until yeah. those, he used to hear every, you know those those goddamn medics they screwed everything up. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you're, you're probably right. Um, and then I remember we went to a place. It was called the Co-op, and it was like a big Granger store. Yeah, but for people, wasn't it down like on Jackson or something like that? I remember. I I don't think I ever went there, but I've heard of it. So we went there on a call, and um, I remember that a guy had put his arm through a window, and he lacerated his brachial artery, and we were trying to stop it and pressure and all kinds of stuff. And um, then Michael Hungerford and Fred Heidenreich came from, I think, probably rescue one and I saw what they were doing they were packing stuff and they were doing stuff that EMTs couldn't do it and that was my motivation to become a medic because I I didn't like that feeling about not being able or even knowing what to do and so um, when paramedic training was occurring we didn't do it the paramedic training that happened back then was um, through Valley Emergency Medical Services it was a group from a gentleman named Howard Adams. 
Yeah. And he was involved in a motor vehicle accident. He became a, a paraplegic. Yeah. I think maybe some aspect of a quad, but he had some limited use of his upper extremities, as I recall. And so he became the champion for that whole legislation. He created the program. And so if you wanted to be a paramedic in Arizona, you had to go through an agency like that. And they had contracted with hospitals. So you were trained by doctors. And not How'd that go? <laughs> Well, again, you march or die because <laughs> yeah. because you're you're a you're a, a, a borrowed servant, okay. and so the chief would send us, and your job was how did to, it how did it how did you apply, David? How did the how did you get picked to go? So they they had a requirement to where <clears throat> excuse me, you had to have two and a half years on the job. And you had to have recommendation from fire from fire captains that you were competent to work on the fire ground without supervision, because there's going to be a two-man model, much like we have today, okay. two paramedics, and they were going to work independently because there was only two or three at the time in the city, and they were going to wherever else. And so they might be at station one. They were assigned to the captain on the ladder. But if they were out on the west side and they were going with engine 34, engine 25, then their captain ain't anywhere to be seen. And so they have to be able to be functional on the fire ground okay. in an independent kind of way. So um, you would apply with two and a half years, and then you would have an interview through Howard Adams and that group, and then you'd be selected. You had to take a test, a written test, and you had to score, I think, 80% or higher. Um, but then the interview was a big thing. So the fire department <coughs> really didn't have a lot of say in who got picked. Oh, no. Yeah, these okay. are our guys, yeah. and, but they still have to run through their, <coughs> yes. their, their selection process. I kind of like that a little bit better. Yeah, there's something to it. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of worked out. So I talked with Captain Irwin with, with, about it and said, you know, I really didn't like that feeling. So he said apply. He knew about it. I went down. And this is, I had probably a year and a half on the job, so I went to medic school in January 76. And you were on a 40-hour week, and all your job was to do was study and become out the other side a paramedic. So they paid, and we didn't constant man. You weren't allowed to constant man. I mean, that was kind of a goofy thing back then, but um, June of 76, I got certified. And there were some guys that... Um, I guess didn't get selected, <laughs> and they weren't happy with me. You mean firemen were pissed off they didn't get something they thought they should have got? Well, that's weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> a weird concept. Um, <laughs> and then once you got certified, then you would have to have a base station. So all the hospital emergency rooms, they were your boss. And so if my base station, for an example, back then was Phoenix Memorial Hospital. So the ER doc, the medical director, the head ER doc, he was your boss. And if you did stuff that he didn't like, he would educate you. And if you were uneducable, then you might not get his signature on your ability to be remaining a, a paramedic. Oh, so, so there was like recertification. That oh, went, yeah. Uh, every every year? two years. Every, okay, so, so similar. Same, thing. yeah. And so docs were our boss. And I still have some of the evaluations that they wrote. And that, that to me, is stellar because they were, you know, we were working under their license. And they're pretty hard-nosed back then, right? Like What's the that? doctors were. The doctors are pretty hard-nosed. Like, they're not going to, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're not going to, like, kind of, 
Like, it's okay, Dave, that you fucked this up, right? That's not how it goes. I remember um, I was working with um, Rudy Demas. And St. Joe's was a heavy hitter back then. And there was a doctor, a very prominent cardiologist, who established a hospital on 20th Street in Thomas after that. And I remember we... doctor's hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had a cardiac patient. We went in and we were talking to a guy named Jim Severance, Dr. Severance. He's tremendous. Um, He came from John C. Lincoln and worked at at St. Joe's. And uh, we tell him our interpretation of the EKG. And we were right by the nurse's station and Dietrich was there. Yeah. Ted Dietrich was there. And he kind of looked and he said, this what? Pretty disdainfully. So there's just this. He didn't believe us. Long story short, it turned out that we happened to be correct on that one. <laughs> and so, and so um, that's not unlike you or Rudy <laughs> to be correct. You had you, as they say in the mob. I understand you have to make your bones, and they would challenge you. And I remember very distinctly when I was being certified. So that. I'm all over the place, so I apologize. No, no you're doing yeah, great. Everybody, That's awesome. Everybody is. Yeah. So when I got certified, you have to have a written drug test, a written um, test for medical and... Like trauma, the paramedic drugs, right? right, right. Yeah. Paramedic drugs. Yeah. And then you had an interview, and the interview was two doctors, not from Phoenix, a nurse, not from Phoenix, and a paramedic, not from Phoenix. And so we'd come in a room like this, and they would give you some, toss an EKG script to you. What is that? And tell them how to treat it. And their job was to try and trip you up. I remember very clearly, he told me, he got a patient, and he's in a motor vehicle accident, and he's burned, and he's writhing in pain, and here's this, that. You know, he gave me all the particulars. He said, um, so I told him what my treatment would be. And he said, so what about pain? The guy's in pain, man. Third degree burn. He said, well, I'm going to try and withhold pain medication. Kind of stood up and looked at me. You're what? I said, yeah, I'm going to do medication. You're not getting medication? The guy's burned. I said, yeah. And he called me a lot of names that probably wouldn't <laughs> go. <laughs> you arrogant. You could you say them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How many words did he call you? (laughs) (laughs) Everything but a decent human being. (laughs) And so um, I told him why. And he sat back down very calmly, so he's trying to get you off your game, and that's what you had to do. And you were always scared. I mean, I was scared. Not like a punk. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And so... Because it meant something. Yeah. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. And so he said, okay, thank you, Uh, We'll tabulate our stuff, and then we'll let you know. And so he sent you out in the room, and you sat in a bench about five feet outside the door. You sat there all pitiful. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting waiting for the verdict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then a guy named, um, God, what was his name? Doug Johnson. Worked for DHS. He'd come out and give you, congratulations, you passed and whatever. Oh, man, he'd start, stop sweating. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that they did, and, and doctors would, would challenge you, even in CEs, and they want to know that their license is relatively secure. For sure. And, and that was kind of a good thing because they gave you good education, and I remember that whenever you had doctors from emergency rooms who knew who you were, 
they would let you do a lot of most everything that other people would have to ask permission for. Okay. And so, so you had some trust or yeah. they had some trust for you yeah. and your skills and gave you the leeway. Yeah. 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 And it was, it, it was disconcerting kind of, but it was also a good affirmation, you know, and, and some guys, you know, you tell them about a place you had and what'd you do? It started subclavian. Yeah, did you get permission? Oh, no, no, he told the doc after you. What? They would say, and it's like, well, yeah, no, he let us, you know. So it was just a different day. Right. And that continued for a while, and then it started to become an issue to where whatever, and I'm not knowledgeable about what that was, but then we started doing our own training, and then things started happening. Then we went our own medical control. So we had, that's when Dr. Gallagher and those folks came about. Yeah. Um, Is that in the 80s or? Yes. Okay. So I made captain in 83. And um, I was asked by Wes Powell, who's a deputy chief now in charge of EMS. And he's wanting Rudy Demas, myself, Danny Beck Jr., or Danny Beck, to go and work in the EMS office. So Rudy was paramedic coordinator. I was EMT special projects coordinator. And Danny Beck was paramedic training coordinator. And so um, we went down there, and that's when they started bringing in our own nurse um, and the medical director, and that's when we started doing training, ironically, at Station 4, who had been remodeled to EMS, and the old apparatus bay, uh, part of it, was then uh, the training room. Gotcha. Yeah, that was still EMS when I came on, I remember... As a red shirt delivering right. mail to Was EMS it? at Old Station Four. Yep. Yeah. How how'd the captain's process go back then? Similar or even more stupid? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, I only took one test, thank goodness. Um, and so you would go into the written, and they'd give you a fire problem, and they would. You'd write it out. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to place my trucks. And this assignments I'm going to give them. This is my unstained report. So you wrote that all out. And then you turn that in. And when you turned it in, then they would give you the multiple choice test. And So you had to prove you were competent on the fire ground before you even got a written test. I like that. Well, but what happened yeah. was, see, and that was kind of one of the things is they didn't test it then. You handed it in, but that was going to be used in your interview. Okay. So now nobody can talk about the fire problem because it's already there. Gotcha. Um, and what you did is what you did. And you can make your changes in the interview. Gotcha. But justify why you would. Yeah. And so then they give you the written exam and you do the written exam, you turn it in, and then they'd let you know if you passed. And they had a, an appeal process where you could go back and appeal whatever questions they had. Still like 100-question type tests and yeah. like that. Yeah. And then they schedule you for an interview. And um, you'd go in, and the first thing that you would do was then discuss your fire problem, defend it if you want to say that. Yeah. Um, and they would question you, and they'd challenge you. Um, and I think there was only two boards. So there was some effort, seemed like, to have standard. Um, and then they said, okay, thank you. We'll let you know. And then they send you your results later on. Who are the characters that you were uh, interviewing and defending your tactical in front of? 
Um, one was Bob Cantwell. Ended up being a chief? Yeah, yeah he, he was an assistant chief. Okay. Yeah, he was an assistant chief the whole time. And ironically, when, I was on, when he was on. He was an engineer on Engine 16 when I was there with Fred Irwin. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so he promoted relatively quickly. Um, I want to say Harry Beck. Senior, right? Senior. Yeah. And Jim Walker. Okay. And so, um, and Bob Richards. And so those guys were all, from my understanding, good firemen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was kind of the thing. And so, yeah, it's um, kind of daunting to talk to them. And it, <laughs> I don't think I ever stopped sweating that whole first 18 months. Because <laughs> I was just like, Jesus Christ, one thing after another. But, you know, it, 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 I, was, I was fortunate enough, it worked out. And so um, then I roved. And then they moved me to A-Shift. And I went to... Station 36, and that was... Did they wear capes at the time, A-Shift? <laughs> I didn't get one. Oh. So, so they made... Uh, I never got any when I got balanced. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't, I don't know that they did. At least they didn't because I was at 36. 36 used to be a mobile home at the west end of Deer Valley Airport. Right, right. Okay. So on any given day, we might be at the landing, and if the landing went bad, we might go bad. <laughs> so they <laughs> might crash into us. You're, ca- you're going to catch it. Yeah. 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 And they didn't they didn't have any wire around the whole thing like they do now, so security wouldn't an issue too much. Okay. I mean, it was kind of, but uh, more for critters, right? <laughs> rather, than, rather, rather than for predators. Yeah, you know those saying? aren't homeless people you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Right? Right. Yeah. yeah, those aren't crackheads you're talking about. It's critters. And so, um, matter of fact, I worked with Jimmy Yates. Um, he was a paramedic. He became a nurse. Yater Tater. Tater. Yeah, Yater Tater. <laughs> um, Ted Callen. And the other guy was a rover. The other spot was a rover. And so uh, we were there for, I don't know how long. I finally got made in January 83. And um, I think I was still there for a bit. And then um, Gary Morris was on Engine 17. And Rudy Demas was driving for him, so now Rudy's in the same captain's process that I am, so he's going to go to C-Shift and rove. Gary's leaving because I think he's going to be a chief, so a guy named um, Scott Dodd, he went to Engine 17. So um, there was a point in time that he was at 17, and then he was going to go somewhere, I think EMS, if I'm not mistaken. And then finally when I got made, the spot came open because he left. And so then I took the spot, and then Scott was there. I was there for a while, and then Scott was coming out, and that's when Wes Powell asked me to go in. So Scott and I swapped. Gotcha. So so 84 that you started at 17, Dave, as a Um, captain? Yes, Okay. Got to ask you, what number were you on the captain's list? <laughs> I'm, that's a long <laughs> time ago. Um, I think it was number four. How maybe? many people were on the list at that time, David? Uh, 70. Oh, okay. That's, pretty that's, good. Yeah, that's a big yeah. number. Yeah. Yeah. So you're sure. top five. Yeah. You're top five yeah. guy. I, yeah, no big I, deal. I got, uh, <laughs> I was assured of a spot. 
but there was always that rule of five root clause. Yeah. And you're wondering, you know, you're wondering, am, I, am I that guy? Not in the first five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not in the first five. So, so 60 maybe. David starts on engine 17 as a captain on B shift there in 84. I am going to grade school at Madison number one, which is Caddy Corner uh-huh. from station 17. Okay. I'm in eighth grade when he gets the spot on engine, as the captain on engine 17. Did you ever walk across the street? I had my bike licensed at Station 17, but it was well before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we used to have bike licenses there, too. That yeah. was kind of a big deal. What's that? Uh-huh. They, would, they, would, they would stamp a license number, like on the bottom of your bottom bracket. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, you know, everybody's yeah, steel-framed bike. Right. And if it got stolen and the, and the cops recovered it, they would you know, look at the number and call yeah. you up and go, oh, yeah, we recovered But the your fire bike. station would do that? Yeah, yeah. Firefighters. They used to have like like the license plates, the embossed license plates. Why would you ever want to give a fireman that that important of a job? <laughs> well, I remember I remember penises all over it. When they had the embossed license plates that you put on the back of your seat. Yeah. I remember guys thought it was a big deal when they came out with a white reflective sticker that you'd put on the seat post. Instead of having that license hanging in the back, it's like, oh man, this technology, man, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess, you know. But the interesting part, too, is all the stations, um, and you may see them at 17 still, you have the sidewalk and the apron. Yeah. And then you'll see a little concrete pad, and it has a hole in it with a piece of rebar. And that's because we had rolling carts that had trash bags on it. And we would have to chain that rolling cart of trash bags to that piece of rebar and it had on that rolling cart a cylinder a pipe so people put their money in so people would come in and they'd buy I trash remember, bags from us i remember my parents bags? getting trash bags yes. at the fire station yes. i do remember that yes well, what genius had that idea because so, they I'm were like sure. brown bags and they had like a cactus yes. on it and yes. yeah i, I remember <laughs> those yeah yeah that was a big deal what a weird thing and we yeah. had to take inventory about this stuff we they didn't let us collect the money <laughs> yeah oh, yeah <laughs> that was a good move good choice <laughs> yeah. how come we're a hundred dollars short every week <laughs> no idea They've yeah. never this station's never sold a bag <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they get replaced every week yeah <laughs> for that. but yeah, and so that was kind of that was kind of the thing, and so I went to EMS. Um, there was an issue with documentation, and so that <laughs> fell Even to back me. Then. Hmm. That fell to me, and so um, we got some kind of system taken care of where it got a little better, um, but I would have to do that, and then I would have to do training. So we did a lot of training on Sundays. So I'd come in. Guys love uh, that too, huh? On overtime and do training. Yeah. And we'd have car wrecks and we'd have different kinds of things staged. And um, Was it going all through the academy at that point, Dave? Uh-uh. No, you were this was, wherever you yeah. were doing it. This was battalion training. Okay, got it. And then um, I had to do the triannual drills at the airport. Oh, yeah. So we had to work with the hospitals and all the Red Cross people and everybody. We had to get college students to be moulage so they could be the victims out there and that was i remember i did that a couple of times and after each one was like giving birth (laughs) 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 and and so um the biggest thing that came out of that was that's when we got the ambulance service and that was west powell driven Mm -hmm. and the reason for that was because then we had an ambulance dispatch system that was rotational and all the companies would put their names on a list they'd have to be approved by dhs and they had contract 
parameters, be it 90% of the calls within 10 minutes of dispatch, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Well, it was kind of an inequitable kind of a process because today it might be AMR, but back then, associated ambulance was a big thing. And so they had more ambulances throughout the valley than AAA. They had two. And so if you have AAA both on the east side of town and they're up and they get dispatched, they got to go to the west side of town. It's going to be more than 10 minutes. And dispatch back then, like, we should probably go over that. Like, it wasn't like dispatch today. Yeah, it was a phone call, right, from our alarm room saying to wherever the ambulance dispatch just up. Was and said, "Hey, we have a yes. EMS call at uh, 83rd Avenue and Camelback. Right. We need you." There was no connection, so our dispatch would call their dispatch, and they would dispatch their guy. And and I remember being on the scene 45 minutes, 50 minutes, waiting for an ambulance to show up with a critical patient. Right. And and so Wes saw that was kind of a a, a problem, and so I remember <laughs> he got data, and uh, at times it was even his captains in EMS, we'd take a car out and we'd drive from one location to a hospital, record the mileage, and that's where he got his data, and that's when the ambulance went forth and he was successful in doing that. Yeah. And that was a big, big, big deal. Huge, yeah. yeah. Huge. Yep. So then, for, for a ton of different reasons. Yes. Oh, it's just now, I just don't yeah. think people realize how, how much difficult it was. Like, get a phone call, write an address down, go to a map book, look up the map book, try and get there, <laughs> like, like all that. Like, there's no... There's no routing. There's no GPS. There's none of that stuff. Well, so there's some questions I wanna I wanna ask before we get too far in the sure. road. So if we go back to being an ALS firefighter, mm-hmm. yeah, I know you're working with Rudy. I think you're working on Rescue Nine. I know there's other places you worked. What did it look like then? Because uh, what were there maybe four or five medic trucks at the time or rescue trucks, yeah. and you were the ALS for the entire city. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so so when I got certified in 76, um, we had kind of all the spots were taken. And Rescue 6 was dedicated training for Memorial Hospital. But they were manned. And so when I'm in training at Memorial for the vehicular, I had to go work on Rescue 6. Well, Bill Eats, and I forget who the other medic was, that was their spot. So we get a call. The nurse who oversees me and me get in the back and we go to the call. And so she's my boss. She's precepting me. The two medics are precepting me. And so that's kind of how that worked. Once I got certified, if a guy was off Rescue 6, I'd go to Rescue 6. So I was roving. Yeah. (laughs) And so then they got me to Station 1. There's a guy named Bill McCausland. I don't know if you know him. I know the name. He was an older guy. He was getting ready to retire. He was a medic. He went through late, um, which was kind of an anomaly. But he um, he preferred to sleep <laughs> through the night. <laughs> Don't we hmm. all? So so it, <laughs> weird. So at nine o'clock, I would get off engine two, move my stuff on to rescue one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> So um, my partner then was Dale Brandt, um, tremendous medic. And we, you know, we, we were relatively young, and we had fun, but we did our job. You're right. How yeah. old were you? I was 76, so born in 53, so 23. Yeah, you're still a young man. Yeah. Probably want to do all kinds of stupid stuff. 
Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't need, I didn't need much help figuring that stuff out. <laughs> pretty fertile mind in that regard. Um, and then they made the move to do something with Squad 22. So they want to put a ladder in the south part of town because there wasn't one. And so they had this idea. There was a big truck. It was from Gerstenschlager. <laughs> it was a hideous looking thing. And it was supposed to be a squad, but it resembled more like a... Um, a mobile clinic. So it had two bench seats it could drop. It had... That was the truck that was the rehab truck when I came on the job, right? It was? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And so that was it. And it was big, and, and they had compartments, so they put ladders on it. So it was just like it was. We just didn't have a stick. So... Um, Sounds like a squad. Yeah. <laughs> so Joe Petrucci wanted that because he saw the potential for squad work like it is now with TRT and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, Tony Fortinos was the engine captain. A guy named Dick Smallenbach was the engine, the engineer. And then Tim Smith and John Martinez were the firefighters. And so <laughs> Those Joe, are two characters right oh, there. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Joe Petrucci goes down there and Skip McFarland's the engineer, one of them. Scott Daw was the other engineer. And so they asked if I would be willing to go down there. So I said, okay. So I went down there, and so I was there for a couple of years. And then um, Dale Brandt had gone from Rescue 1 to Rescue 9, and then I think he got hurt or sick. And so they moved me there um, to fill in. And it was also because that was a time that they started making paramedic captains. Because before then, you were just a captain. So I remember Doug Tucker took the captain's test, and he wanted the squad, and he was connected however he may have been. He had people's ears, and so he got that spot. He bounced Joe Petrucci, and so the truck disbanded. So was he one of the very first paramedic captains, if Doug not the first one? Doug Tucker was, yeah. I think the other Is one... Jimmy Tucker's dad? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think the other one might have been... Um, I want to say Bob Hykem. Oh, wow. Okay. Or Decker Williams. Okay. And so, and so now I'm at Rescue 9. And then um, Dan Fawcett was there and Dale's partner. And I think that's when Dale got into a wreck and he messed up his leg. And so they were having a hard time healing it and he was getting osteomyelitis all the time. So they were thinking about amputating. Well, they didn't do that. Anyway, he left the rescue and he went to Engine 18. Dan made captain, went to Engine 18, so they're reconnected as paramedic partners. So that's when Rudy Demas comes to Rescue 9. So Rudy and I were there for a while. I think, I think we took the captain's test in 81. How busy were you guys on that rig? On that one, probably 12 to 18 calls average a shift. All over the city. Yeah, I was going to say. Because they had border rescue. to border. They had Rescue 1. They'd gotten rid of Rescue 6. They had um, Rescue 13, so 1, 9, 13, 7, 24. Five AMVOs for the whole city. And we didn't transport. We yeah, had the just medic rigs. That's it. Yep. No transport, the, no nothing. The trucks you see now is what we drove. Okay. We just didn't transport unless we needed to. Gotcha. And that was rare. All right. And so, a lot um, of refusals. Uh -huh. <laughs> Sorry, a lot of refusals. Sign right here, sir. 
Um, and so, and so, you got a lot of work. Yeah, sounds like it. And we didn't have to worry about transport. If we had a patient transport, we typically would go with them, and your partner would drive the truck and follow and pick you up. Was there a rescue truck assigned every fire? Yes. And so you guys were busy, man. Because we're out running around, going from one place to another. Rescue thirteens out, so we might go out there mm -hmm. to the east side. Yeah. So so there's a lot of crossing, and if there's a fire and you're crossing, hey, there's a fire. Let's go. Yeah. And and so we go, and so you get more experience that way. Um, you know, I guess I guess we're just fortunate because most of us liked doing both tasks. Yeah. And it wasn't just God. I got to do EMS today. You know, okay, whatever. And so um, they got to be pretty knowledgeable and 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 of one another's capabilities. And so if somebody's coming in with us, they knew what we could do, and vice versa. And so it was it was just a good a good circumstance. I mean, it just seemed to work. Well, it sounds like with so few medics, um, it's easier to police each other. Yeah, yeah, because well, and, and, and they're, and they're reporting to doctors, yeah. they're yeah. reporting to fire department bosses, yeah. they're reporting yeah. to captains. You're they're not gonna have a lot of shippers running no. around there because yeah. if not, they're gonna work themselves out real quick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're just not gonna last. Like, like, oh, like if I show up, like, oh, fuck me on Saturday, <laughs> we're gonna do some things differently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that was kind of how it worked, and then, um, one of the motivating factors for us to take the captain's test was because they're now going to do away with the two-man rescues, and they're making ALS engines. And so I was on engine nine with Jim Grody as the captain, Richard Bechtel was the engineer, and then Danny Beck was my first partner, and then he went somewhere, he did something. And Joel Halley came, and he and I were partners, and we were able to um, be the first in on the high-rise fire at um, Central and... Is it the Valley Bank one? No. Or the, the, uh, the title building? The condos, no. This was um, oh. Central and Clarendon. No, 3rd Avenue and Clarendon. Executive so Towers? Executive Towers. Yeah. And so... You know your fire history, dude. Yeah. We were <laughs> on the north... On the southeast corner of Central and Osborne, there was a building that was being renovated, and we were on a call. It was a first aid call, and a worker had used his leg as a sawhorse, <laughs> and, and he lacerated his leg. So we stopped the That's bleeding. Part of our training here at Reef Builders. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're taking care of this guy, and we have him positioned to transport. And um, Richard Bechtel comes in and says, hey, there's a fire at the executive towers. So Jim says, let's go. He said, well, Jim, we got it. He says, they're coming to pick him up. Stay here or jump on the truck. So he jumped on the truck and we went there and we were able to get up there. And it was like no big deal. I mean, it's impressive. It was like 20 stories up. Yeah. <laughs> it was the smokehouse. 20 stories up. It was all concrete. <laughs> yeah, and right. Uh -huh. So it was contents, and so it was, like, not a big deal. And, uh, you know, afterwards, it's, you know, oh, wow, you, you guys did the towering inferno. I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> did you blow the water tank? I'm not sure it's exactly <laughs> like that. <but laughs> right. Yeah. Was O.J. Simpson there? Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but no, and, and so it was kind of thing to where um, the standard then was you take the elevator up, three floors below, come back out, and it worked good. I mean, it, yeah. it, it worked. And so I think there was other high rides after that, and I don't know what the extent was or what occurred, but it, it just seems like makes sense, kind of easy. Do it that way. Just do it, man. Yeah, it was one of the first three residential high-rises in Phoenix Executive Towers. There was that one on Central um, uh, about Oak. That, that, that It's still there, that, that funny-shaped one. Uh, uh-huh. okay. e- Executive Towers and then uh, Camelback Towers up at Central and Camelback. Right. Yeah. right, and that was an interesting one, too, because I was at 17 when that happened. <laughs> I remember the, the guy who was on the truck on Engine 9 at that point, he... He got a fair amount of stuff for his tactics. And did the fire go out? Yeah, it did. Did it extend? No. Did it blow any firemen up? No. Did they get steam? No. Because the guys coming up were still there. And so who knows how big it could have gotten. It's like, you know, and it's ironic. They actually did it the way we're trying to teach people to do it now. That's what I was going to say. It's ironic really? because that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And Back then, this is 30 years ago? No, this is... 15? 15 years 15 ago, years yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was a monitor. I mean, yeah. it was a stand gun. Yeah. And people who use a stand gun, yeah, I used them on house fires too. Oh, yeah. And they work. And guess what? It didn't extend. And it's, I, you know, so I just, I just, <laughs> fertile mind, think some goofy things. And Have tactics always been that, like, God, it's almost like personal Almost, right? Like, it's always been that sensitive a subject. If someone did something that wasn't necessarily what everybody thought they should do, you're fucked up, or this is stupid, or you're an idiot, or whatever else. To an extent, it was. I mean, you would go in and put the fire, the seat of the fire out. But there's guys, and Tim Smith was one of them, if it's hot, cool it. Otherwise, you can't get in. Right. And, And whatever. It was interesting because... Before we had hoods, and we just had those earpieces, then they came out with the yellow helmets and stuff. And we would get old turnouts. <laughs> and we'd configure to where it'd be like a big flap that'd go mm-hmm. over your coat. Yeah. Pull I remember the, Smitty's helmet. Pull the collar yep. up, and you had that big flap. And so you look like a foreign legion guy. <laughs> in the back. And then you added an extension onto your coat. Okay. So that when you wore day boots and you pull them up, and you're kneeling down, crawling around. That way, you had your back of your legs protected. And I remember getting burned up without day boots, with day boots on. So you're gonna probably we'll probably have to describe that a little bit more for people that are listening, like day boots versus our regular turnouts that are now and stuff like that. Yeah. So day, so the turnouts you start with, day boots are rubber boots, and they they fold down, and yeah. and when you go to fire, you fold them up, and they come up about mid thigh, right? So like stripper boots. <laughs> Very right. similar. Okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> just not a, <laughs> the heel's not as hot. Ha- no, not, yeah. okay, not yeah. a sharp a heel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's like pretty and woman type, type length, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Just, and so, just and trying to get the context here, boys. Yeah, so you'd put those on, and then that way, if you needed to pull them up, then you'd pull them up, and they'd come down to your, you know, just about mid-thigh. And, like, what are you wearing underneath that? A thong or a bikini <laughs> breeze or what, <laughs> jeans? Whatever, whatever you felt comfortable with. <laughs> the jeans, typically, right? But the irony... Yeah, they were dungarees, right? The, the irony is they had dungarees, but when we came on... What are dungarees? We had just, like, red cap pants. 
So they were, you know, the the pants. Like our station now. pants, right? Yeah. 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 Cotton pants but, or whatever. But then they decided they wanted to do some <laughs> some different <laughs> kinds of things and keep up with the time. So you're talking about late 70s, early 80s. And Bell so, bottoms. <laughs> and so, and so <laughs> Levi came out with a polyester oh, no. pant. They were called Nuvos. So your polyester pants. And so Put we some wore plastic those. pants on you right now. Going to a fire. <laughs> that sounds like a great fucking idea. <laughs> and that's when they changed from the blue shirts, the light blue shirts, okay. to they call them cranberry. I remember those. But they yeah. were pink. What? They were pink. They, they were dr- pink. Dr- they were firefighters' pink. dress shirts were pink. That is awesome. But they were reddish, right? For fire. Yeah. Because somebody didn't want to look blue like police. Gotcha. So HF picked those out. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't B shift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that. He's just like, can we get our tank tops back? We really like to wear those. <laughs> well, the really funny part about it was the chiefs, the executive guys. Then they had like a maroon coat. Oh my god! They look probably look like bellhops. Yeah, or, yeah, or right? uh, yeah. movie theater ushers. Yeah, ballet guys. <laughs> can I park your car, sir? And, and sometimes they would even wear like white shoes and a white belt. Something <laughs> oh snazzy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. day boots, whatever, cotton pants or jeans. Yeah. The coat is they're black, right? Like stuff was black back then, right? Ours, ours were just like canvas, and then they okay. started getting into the yellow Nomex. Okay. So, so canvas, and then and they, with came, extenders. And they came down. To just below where your day boots came to, right. so yeah. kind of above your knee. So right. yeah, so basically like you're on Van Buren on a Friday night, that's kind of uh-huh. a get up, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right there. Yeah. And then there's an extender for the coat to cover your legs. You're talking. We about, right? would we would have that sewn on. Oh, like you'd go off on your own and do yes. that. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, so and and I know stories from from that era of guys burning their junk, guys burning the back of their legs, right. you Ugh. know that stuff because it's not covered. Yeah. I'd have a. I think I'd have a specially made thing for my junk, <laughs> just, for, just for that. Right? Yeah. Damage that, dude. Uh-huh. You're fucking. You're in a world of hurt. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Like this is stupid. Well, I don't think. I think debreeding that at county <laughs> is not <laughs> oh, the fun God, part. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and then an SCBA SCBA pack. Yep. And then a regular helmet or. What was those yellow helmets like that? Okay. That's so, when they right. came into being. All right. Gotcha. Um. And they had different colors. I mean, it's funny because medics had black helmets. And so oh, it was really? ironic. The doctors yeah. of death <laughs> yeah, exactly. coming through. I still got helmet. mine. Yeah. Oh, I keep wow. that thing for sure, um, too. And so then they went to yellow and whatever they did. Yeah, what, do you, anybody know what the significance of the yellow helmet is? I think it's just visibility. Yeah, because yeah, you're completely I, stupid. Because when we, had the, when, we, you. when we had the bullet helmets, they put reflective tape on it. Gotcha. And, and red was for engineer ca- or... Uh, firefighter and then you started getting a white for captains gotcha and then that's when chiefs got white helmets with white reflective tape yeah got so. it yeah and the paramedic when, when we started getting firefighter paramedics they had blue tape on their helmets because you could discern the right. uh, medic firefighters from gotcha. everybody right. else because they're important I thought you could usually typically uh, identify them by by the size of their gold chain they're wearing. I'm well, sure. that was covered. That was covered by their turnouts in these situations. Well, so you have to have some other identifier. Oh, I, okay, yeah. okay. That, that makes uh-huh. more sense. You didn't wear those on the outside of your yeah. coat. And I, I was going to ask Dave too. Did they did they start the Mister T starter kit in your area of paramedics? Or, <laughs> yeah, they or, did. Or, See, or, and it was kind of funny because <laughs> or did it come later? Because back when guys started, I mean, there's a pretty diverse group of personalities. Yeah. And there were some guys that came from Vietnam, and so they're into being a medic, a real medic. 
Right. And then there's some other guys. <laughs> yeah, that's Storm and those guys, right? Yeah, yep. They're yep. cracking people. And, and there's some guys that had the ability to be physicians, but for whatever reason chose not to. But they still had that intellect. And so they're doing that. And there's some others who are associating themselves with the TV show, so the glamour. Yeah, yeah. And, and then sometimes we're our own worst enemies because sometimes. There, there, <laughs> are some, there, there are some guys who... At shift change, they'd check out that stuff, and then they'd go to the hospital. Well, they'd spend time in the hospital. They'd eat. They'd Oh, yeah, chase some tail, right, stuff like that. I'm not saying um, you ever did that, but <laughs> other people. Communicate. Yeah. <laughs> Entertainment <laughs> is what Chad Dunn would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was fortunate because guys I was with, I mean, we are still considered firefighters, and so we'd clean stations. We'd do stuff we needed to do. Yeah, we'd yeah. do that kind of stuff with them. So, so um that's when they started calling us nurses and prima donnas, and that's when the gold changed. Guys really started getting going, and, you know, uh, I remember there was a couple of guys that, that was back when they had MASH, the movie, and what, Elliot Gould and it's Donald It's a fantastic Sutherland. movie. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. But step aside, the pros from Dover are here, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Love Those that. guys made the mistake of saying that in the station. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, really? So it was kind of rough going for them. So it sounds like even back then, Firemen were sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've always been sensitive. Yeah. Sensitive, and then you have the ones that are, they earned every every yeah. bit of torturing they get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I had a guy walk in one time and say, uh, uh, I'm Tom Brady today, and you guys are my supporting cast. I'm like, yeah. oh, really? You're, not, you're 112 yeah. on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah let's see how this goes out. <laughs> let's see how this is going to work out today. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's kind of where all that went, and then it evolved to paramedic engines, and then they said paramedic captains, and then... There was a point in time, and it was at Station 22, when they actually were making a move to where we were going to have to d- decide, are you going to be a paramedic, or are you going to be a firefighter, or an engineer, or whatever. Right. And they actually came out, and they gave us a paramedic badge. So I have a paramedic badge. Really? Yeah. And, and the consensus was, if you're going to make us choose, uh, you have to get some more paramedics, because yeah. that was the thing. Yeah, around. I get it. I get it. So you go to uh, you, you take the captain's test, uh, and then you go. You end up at seventeen. Right. Who's working at seventeen? Who's your first crew at seventeen? <laughs> and what year is that? So eighty three. You said eighty four. It was eighty three, eighty four. Okay. And then I went to EMS for like two and a half years. Okay. And so I came back in eighty six. So I was okay. able to get it. Paul Faulkner was the battalion chief there, district commander, and so he was instrumental in helping that occur. Um, but I had Danny Wick, Don Williams, and Kenny Silas. And it was... Um, Some criminals. Yeah. <laughs> in the best way. Yeah. In the yeah. best Some way. Common criminals that yeah. found a good job. Yeah. In our own right. But um, I learned a lot from those guys. Was a um, the utility there then, David? Utility was there, and it was... No. I want to say there was a hose truck there for a bit. Okay. And that was Bud Perkins. All right. And um, then that went away when all the hose trucks went away. And so then they had a spot for utility. And it wasn't long after that that David Zola came around. Got it. And then um, Don Williams promoted to captain, and he left. Was he always that angry? That's my question. 
Uh, he was he was uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, he went to Engine Thirty Three for a little while and then became a captain. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, did Corny come after Don? I think Jim Mabry came. Oh, and okay. then Corny came down the road. Got it. So all, right. all these guys worked for you. Yeah. Along the way, that's oh, awesome. Oh, sigh. Um, yeah, a pretty wise guy. He pretty he, he taught me a lot, and then he talks real crazy, and he's probably one of the smartest, most intellectual people I know. He's very well read. Um, he's a world class runner. Um, <laughs> but he's but he's from the street, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a nice way. My of, favorite. Of putting it. My, my my favorite time period of, of my career that I if I could go back today and just relive would be my time on Engine Seventeen. How long how long were you there? I wasn't. I was never permanently assigned yeah, there. Yeah. But Corning was on the captain's list, so yeah. that that position was open quite a bit. And Corning was your firefighter. Yeah. Yeah. Did he always have that sweet hairdo? Yeah. Oh, ever, always. Corning was interesting. I never mean, changed. Yeah. Huh? You <laughs> know, Maxi Mullet running it hard. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. We get frustrated on calls, right? Especially Never when people are being jackasses, and, <laughs> and you get defensive. And sometimes, sometimes um, restraint has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one of the idiosyncrasies that that were characteristics that was noted is um, whenever a person, one person in particular, would get frustrated, he started doing this to his shirt. Okay, start pulling on his shirt. And his legs <laughs> start shaking. Oh shit. Time to go to the truck. Oh no! Yeah. no I remember this well. <laughs> and so, and so, it came about that Kenny one time says, "Hey, Skip, the corn man's leg shaking. You better sit the truck." <laughs> Kenny used to call it, "Oh, he's getting ill fib. <laughs> His legs starting to shake." <laughs> he called him the corn man. Yeah. So. I got a feeling that his his fuse is probably the shortest out of everybody. Um, it, it, I'm not. <laughs> sure. I'm not sure. Just depends I, uh, on the day, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I think. Yeah, it depends on the day and the time and whatever. But Corny um, is a very good medic. He's a real good fireman. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, I <laughs> I've never. I, I've worked around him stuff like that, but I've never got to actually work with him on anything. So I, I remember there was a time where um, I remember it was a Sunday afternoon, one thirty, two o'clock, and the wind was blowing pretty hard. It was summerish. It was hot. And there was a fire in some oleanders like about 22nd Street in Coulter. And there was a house and then a guest house. And as you guys know, there's oleanders all around. Well, there's no plug close by. And so this thing's moving pretty good. So I said, Danny, I said, let's go inside the property. So we went inside the property. So I told Corny and, and Kenny, I said, hey, man. I said, each take a line. And go from the end and work your way in as best you can. They said, "What?" And I said, "You got 500 gallons of water. Hopefully, we bring somebody. Give it hell. Somebody, <laughs> somebody will bring us some water." As the Asians say, "Good luck." Yeah. <laughs> and they put it out. I mean, it was then because of the wind, it got balanced to a first second. I think because of the shake shingle roofs, and then uh, the fire chief showed up in the command van. Bruno? Yes. Yeah. And Dennis Compton showed up in the command van. <laughs> and then they asked me to come to their office. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to their office and they asked me some questions. They said, what were you thinking? And not like, what were you thinking? Yeah. But yeah. what were you thinking? So I told them. I said, okay. 
you have confidence in you guys? I said, if I didn't, we wouldn't have gone in. President's calling right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come to my office. Yeah. Right <laughs> you no, know, they heard you. Yeah. Um, and so just explained it to him. And he said, were your consideration? So I told him, I said, here's the deal. We, the truck wasn't in jeopardy. Could have gotten worse. That's Put it out did. as small as you can. Yeah. So he said, okay. I, that was it. And I went, oh, jeez. I hope I answered it correctly. <laughs> I was thinking back to my probationary days. And said, <laughs> yeah, right. hey, report to station one and take your gear with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but no, so, so they would ask you, and if you had reasonable explanation, they could at worst educate you. Yeah. They seemed like reasonable guys. <laughs> I know they probably had, had their times they lost it on people or whatever, but it sounds like if you had a, like a reasonable answer for what they're trying to do, then they're probably not going to jump your ass. That was my experience with it. And if you didn't have anything reasonable, then they would tell you, here's the thing. And they would educate you. And sometimes it wasn't so nice. And sometimes it was as nice as they could make it. Yeah. And sometimes they can't be nice, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah like, like sometimes you got to come in. Like, what do you see the difference between, and I, you don't need to speak, speak specifics, between that area of leadership and where kind of things were, are at between that point and where we are today? Yeah. Because you have seen it. Yeah. You've seen you it You have all, a benchmark right? for sure. Yeah. Um, you know who's credible and you listen to those people and you follow their direction I remember being on some fires where um, one in particular was working with um, Jerry Kennedy Ladder 20 yep. um, Dickie Panther Engine 20 and Jay Arthur Engine 26 and there was a fire at 7th Avenue and Bethany is the Bayless store. I remember that fire yeah, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, back then, the building had a parapet and then it had an overhang. Well, in the Bayless store, the overhang started to droop. And the command guy was right behind us at that Circle K. It was there then, too. He says, Hey, I went to West Sector to take some guys and take some banger ladders and some pike poles and prop up that awning so it doesn't fall on anybody. Me and Jay, Jerry, we look at each other like, what? Yeah, are you stupid? <laughs> and so the battalion chief, who's a sector officer, is, oh, okay, yeah, we did it. And so we're looking, and then just simultaneously, we all look and go, well, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we told the battalion chief, the sector officer, we're not doing that. And he never missed a beat. Okay, yeah, we'll go ahead. No, no we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. And so... The point is you knew who was credible and who had reasonable expectation of success no matter what you did on the fire ground. And that was kind of a big thing. And if a captain had said, we're not doing that, that's one thing. But a sector officer says something, a battalion chief says something, it was better better suited. Yeah. The players kind of know who the players were then, right? Right. And that command officer then had to answer to the fire chief. Yeah. And that was was a big deal. But... um, you know, I've, I've been at 17 for, for a while, and frequently people have asked me, how come I never moved to a different station? And a number of reasons. But one of the biggest ones was you knew who was around you. I knew Engine 9, Mark Corretto, or Tony Fotinos. Mm-hmm. Ladder 9, Tony Fotinos. Um, and Mike Harrell. Yeah, Mike Harrell, yeah. 
and Gary Ford and Kenny Johnson. And, and so you know that if you're the guy and they're coming to support you, you have support and you can ask them and they'll do what you ask. If they see something different, they'll give you that information. And then they just do some things. Gotcha. And it was reciprocal. And, and that was huge. And so, you know, you, you knew what you were getting. And that was, I mean, we would find another way to get to the address. I typically would find another way rather than the address point. Where, yep. And so I'm looking for another view so that I, I can give this guy as much view from the rear, the side, whatever side, and then go from there so there's not any congestion. And they would do the same thing. I mean, it, it, that's how it was trained. That's how we did it. And that's how it worked. Rather than we're not beating anybody in, you know, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but not, not, not a lot. Right. It was more, hey, we're a team. We're supporting each other. Seemed to be that yeah. way. And nobody, it, from my experience, all those guys were captains. Yep. Uh, yeah. The captains he's talking about were captains when I came on the job, when me and Warrell were on Rescue 9 on B-Shift, and we were running with all these crews. We were running EMS calls. We were running fires with all these calls. And it was 100% on, uh, that way. And what I noticed, at least from my position, uh, I didn't ever see a captain step on another captain or a crew step on another crew. Right. Uh, <coughs> Mo Walker would say something crazy every once in a while, which is which, which you loved. Oh, there's got to be one of them. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it guys. was there was actually a legitimate level of respect, and they didn't they didn't step on each other. They legitimately showed up and helped each other, and and we had some really good calls, uh, at least in my time in that area. And then when I worked on Engine Seventeen and Engine Nine. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, uh, I don't know that I've ever experienced that sense then. Um, I, 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 maybe, maybe in small pockets, maybe a little bit as a captain and the people I was working around, but I think that was probably the strongest sense of that I've ever mm -hmm. experienced on the job. What, um, was it the same way from the captains to battalion chiefs in that area as well? Like, Hmm. Kind of, they're more. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like I don't, a, re I don't remember it that yeah, way. <laughs> that sounds like a big fat no. But yeah. All right. Yeah. No. It was. Um, there were people that you would listen to, and because they were considered firemen. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting when somebody from my generation, what I know, say, he's a good fireman. That meant a lot right i don't know what that necessarily means now with my generation because i don't think it, it carries as much weight as it did mm -hmm. back then I, like not just me personally like and i'm talking about myself and like <laughs> hey like 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 if someone said hey he's a good captain like if they're talking about me no one's ever going to say that but if they did um i like i've only been a captain for four and a half years or something like that i'm like there's no fucking way i'm going to be that good i'm not going to be a good captain until i get 10 years on the job, 12 years on the job, 15 years on the job, stuff like that. I can be good for maybe my peers, but overall, like, compared to a Dave Sanchez or, or, or something like that, like, you're fucking suck, dude. You're barely getting your feet wet kind of a deal. Well, it was kind of interesting because senior firefighters were a big thing. Yeah. And it was kind of a hierarchy that when the captain would have to go to a captain's meeting, and that was usually the only time the guys would leave, um, the engineer would move up. Yep, second command, right? Yes. Technically. And then the captain would then have the senior firefighter drive. 
So it was a hierarchy, but the senior firefighter could make decisions on the fire ground as if he were a captain. Right. And, and you don't see that much anymore because a senior firefighter now is two years, and I can't really talk because, in essence, I was a senior firefighter with 16, 18 months on the job. And that's right. kind of, who's this guy? And so it, it's just a different kind of thing. Um, and, and recently, or it's been my observation that people mention the name, they say, he's a good guy. You don't hear he's a good fireman very much. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I think that's accurate. And even as we kind of get up past the fireman stage, you don't hear a lot of like, hey, that that guy's had a lot of time in the field, or that chief has a lot of time in the field. So you, so there's really not a lot of that experience that you're talking about. It's dwindled quite a bit, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know how that works. I understand ambition, and I understand trying to learn more. Um, for me, I didn't take the first captain's test I could, and that was by design, because I didn't feel comfortable telling people that had time on the job, like Billy Bedard, Louis Mueller, some of the guys that chose to be senior firefighters, fire, career firefighters, yeah, yeah. Um, to tell them what to do. I mean, at five and a half years, I mean, right. my gosh. And... <clears throat> People had suggested I probably should do that, but it just didn't set well with me. No, so, I agree. I was the same way. Like I kind of passed. <clears throat> I just didn't think I, I didn't think I was ready, and 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 maybe I was more ready than others. But it's like just kind of one of those things. It's like you're. What's it going to hurt if you wait a little bit longer? Right. Right. And so it kind of it kind of worked out, you know, for me. And the transition from firefighter when I was going to get made, it wasn't so rocky. Gotcha. Because guys go out and they want to test your metal. They want to see if they can trust you. They want to yeah. see if they can depend upon you. And it it wasn't it wasn't so rocky. And it, it just it worked for me. Especially number four on the list. Because I don't care what, what anybody says. If like you end up in the top ten, there's expectations of like of like your performance. And I and I tell guys that that hey, if like you have in the fifties, there's not a lot of difference. I think between fifty and, and ten, like just it's 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 sh- fractions of a point, right? So it's like those guys are just as good, but just that time, like oh, he's in the top five, out of the top ten, like this way. So yeah, if like you go out there, and there are guys that we've seen in that top ten list that net don't really have a lot of time in there. And like, what, what are you going to bring to the table? You've never really managed a station or been a permanent person like at a station like what are you gonna do i'm not saying those people can't be good but what i'm saying is it's a little more difficult for them to be good well one of the requirements that that was impacting your grading in the captain stuff was your performance ratings and they they were way different back then <laughs> it wasn't just check <coughs> check yeah, check yeah, check no. okay you actually had to write some stuff and it had to be yeah it was a different kind of thing. i still have my gradings from dave sanchez yeah really yes say? i do did i grade you Darn straight you did. <laughs> I wish you had those right now. <coughs> I should have brought them. Yeah, if I was thinking, I would have yeah, brought them yeah, with yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah, but it was a different, you know, it was a different time. It just seemed, you know, it, I don't know if it's good or bad. It just is different. Yeah. A and, lot different, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Almost I, 180 from what you've seen? Well, yeah. We're doing EPCR now. Yeah. What's and, that? You know, and, and <laughs> call me old. It would be factual. I don't trust electronics, especially with things like that, because um, 
when it's good, it's good. When it's not good, it's really not good. Because then you have lost an archival kind of thing. Right. If you can't retrieve it. Yep. And a hard And it's copy, a skill, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, yeah, I mean, they yeah. Teach, it took a lot for me to learn how to document stuff. They got to teach you guys how to lie. I, I do. Greatest <laughs> <laughs> liars on the job, medics. Come the on. The last <laughs> EMS form I wrote, I still did things. And it's been a little while since I wrote emails form. I get it. But uh, I still wrote things that because of Dave and because of, of a couple other people that, that the, the things that I particularly did and I always documented were because of that. And I, and I do believe that that is a skill. Well, you know, it is. And it's a shared thing. I mean, I, I, I read other people's charts and I've stolen, borrowed, plagiarized their stuff. Oh, that's uh, how I learned. Oh, yes. Yeah. I had a chart myself. I, I I look at medics that were good medics that I worked with, and I'm like, oh, what does he say here? What Did Andy say teach there? you how to chart? Totally. Arredondo? Yeah, to- yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I he bet. Was, <laughs> he was, yeah, he taught. He, he, he taught was me. a medic. Yeah, he, 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 he was. Yeah, totally. Every morning when I go down and print out the DRL and write no patient, no email on every single form that we did the day before, that's, that's where all my, my uh, documentation came from. <laughs> But yeah. but yeah no no like single point of failure no backup stuff like that well so so I, you just brought up something really interesting so you did you wrote EMS forms for forty five years as a paramedic <laughs> yeah in May you start you know you you start having to do them on on a tablet right. that is a fundamental huge shift yeah. and because you can't there's no carryover of one to the other because. The, the other system is not flexible to the way we used to do it. No. That's a that's pretty badass. I had not considered that. And it, it's the kind of thing this. to where I like to write what I mean, and a drop-down box doesn't necessarily cause that to happen. Gotcha. You know, um, it, it, and it, it comes down to, to the litigation point. I mean, it's, I, you get uncomfortable on the stand at times because you're being contested. Yeah. And and one guy's trying to make you look like a superstar, and the other guy's making you look like you're not. Mm-hmm. And and so words mean something at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so I don't need a drop down box putting words in my mouth. I well, this is how bad it was the first day EPCR came out. I was the one running the tablet for the medics. <laughs> you know that's bad. Well, yeah, see? yeah. You you know that's bad when I'm doing that. It's a tremendous leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm Asian. I knew how to fucking work. work well, they just jobs. handed it to him. Yeah. They just handed yeah. it. Hey, Harry, you know how to do this. Yeah, it's from there. <laughs> uh, it's funny too because I don't know like what what your reputation as a rover coming into Station Seventeen was, but like I'll just tell a story because I think everybody needs to hear it. Like uh, Dave had this reputation for engineers. We're like, oh dude, like if fucking you don't know how to get exactly to the house, you're gonna fucking ca- right. catch shit and this and that and the other. So. The first time I ever went in at seven town, I'm like, man, motherfucker. And then I, I first thing I do, I go up to the, you know, to him like I did everybody. I'm like, hey, I'm here to drive for you today. Is there anything particular that you want me to do? And Dave said very two very clear things. I'm like, this is gonna be fucking easy. You need to know your first two turns. I run the siren. Cool. Uh, that that's it. So like all this blown up shit about, oh, he's gonna fucking do this. He's gonna do that. He's gonna yell. You don't know. I'm like, I'm like, that's pretty reasonable. Know your first two turns and. He wants to run the siren, and he even explained it to me. He's like, I liked it because I like my driver to have his both hands on the wheel, blah, blah, blah. You're distracted. I'm like, this makes fucking total sense. I'm like, <laughs> all these motherfuckers, sensitive-ass liars out there, they're like, it's going to be so bad. And I loved working for Dave. I didn't get to drive for him for long. I, um, I, 
I uh, one of my best friends from the job worked over there, Scott, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And I always like everyone like there's this big thing of like, oh, Dave's is fucking big, tough, and fucking pissed off. I'm like, it's one of the fucking nicest guys that I ever worked with. And <laughs> when you go out to a call, I'm like, his level of customer service is way beyond what what most people's are. And and that was after that was probably in 37 or 38 years on. The job, so I don't even know where any of that stuff came from. And then when he went to the academy for that short time, like everybody had nothing but good shit to say about him. Well, so the, so I, I learned something today. So listening to him talk about the probationary captains that he had, and so I can see the fact that uh, that those folks instilled certain expectations in Dave, and I can see those expectations as Dave as a captain because I experienced them working there. I I was a firefighter for Dave. Uh, um, I did my paramedic precepting at 17 or one of my stations was at 17. And, and then there were days, plenty of days where I drove on uh, mm-hmm. engine 17. I had nothing but a fantastic time there and it was clear. All right, we're going to do our yeah. job and we're going to do it. We're going to do a good job. And, uh, and I also had the, some of the most fun shifts I've ever had on the job <laughs> at 17. And it was all the cast of characters there. Yes. And, um, but it, it was the, I thought the expectations were pretty goddamn freeing. Well, and for me, like, and since I, I was an adult when I showed up to the fire department and had done some other things, it's like when I worked for him, I'm like, oh, so this guy wants you to be fucking confident in what you do? I, it, that's it. It is crazy. Like, and, and that's it the only thing I ever picked up from you. It's like, because yep. at the station, fuck off stuff like that. When you get to a call, Dave's pretty serious. But he's like, that like that's a time that just switched. So I'm like, I don't. It, yeah, it never ever made any sense to me. I'm like, the dude just wants you to be competent at what you're doing. And I think probably what happened was there's guys that weren't competent and weren't um, willing to be held accountable for their actions. So I'm sure they got to talking to him. They're like, oh, that guy's a fucking asshole because he told me that I need to know my job. I'm like, hey, well, fuck yeah, you do need to know your job, stupid. Like that's like that's how it should be. Well. I do also remember a couple of times when Dave made Battalion Two sad. The guy that was the guy, the chief of Battalion Two, he made that guy sad a couple of days, and well, we thought it was pretty funny, but uh, and it was a, probably pretty warranted. Yeah, but uh, so that's a good captains have to do sometimes. Right? Yeah, man, yeah. it was, and but you felt like you had some autonomy to do some things, yeah. and uh, and then and everybody did know their job, and and because of that, that we could talk freely and. Kenny Silas could give me the history of the world over and over and over again. <laughs> and David Zoha would strip down naked and jump on top of Kenny on the strato. And, and, uh, and there was a fight bell, a real, a real boxing bell yeah, like in there when, when shit got going. Yeah. And, uh, we're stupid. Something's going to go. And, and Kenny's, and Kenny's yeah, screaming, Hey, hey, hey Sanchez. <laughs> and it, it was, yeah, it was good. What do you think? 47 years, been around a long time. What do you think we've lost, and what do you think we need to get back? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Noodle on that one for a little bit. Chris is getting naked in the corner right now, and he's going to try and climb on me. (laughs) I think we lost the ability to kind of... um, slow down and I mean that in every sense um, for me doing this job learning this job is a process if you understand the concept of what fire is and what we do to kind of make sure that it's controlled 
that becomes a process. And just like any other process, if you short circuit it or circumvent it, you're going to have an unpredictable outcome. And I use the kind of analogy um, human gestation is 40 weeks. If I don't have the patience to wait 40 weeks and I have the ability to then undermine that and I receive my fetus at 20 weeks, it's not going to look like anything at 40 weeks. <laughs> and therefore, I can love you. <laughs> therefore, you have to contend with that because it's not something you can dispose of. It's not something you can correct. There are times when we make a mistake and it's unforgivable. You make a mistake, you're dead. No question. I think we need to slow down and be able to discern when those times are. Gotcha. Um, do we have the experience to do that right now? Say it again? Do we have the experience to do that right now? I think the experience is there. Or is it not being utilized correctly? I, I think maybe it's... I don't want to believe that it's a choice. I think it's something that's not recognizable. So, I, I, my, my brain is pretty simple. If I see a snake, I know I don't pick it up if it rattles. <laughs> if it don't rattle, I don't know what I don't know. And, and I think if we can recognize those kinds of things when they're subtle, then we're going to be better at making those kind of decisions that aren't going to ha have significant gravity with it. Gotcha. That's, that's so slow know. down, be willing to, to learn, gain the experience. Patience, Patience might be a part of that. Think about what you're doing. I mean, what's the hurry? Yeah. Okay, so now I'm a captain at four years, five years, and I'm not suited for that. It's not going to be a good outcome. No. When something bad happens, I mean... If it's great, it's great. But when it's bad, then we need to kind of mitigate that. And if you can't, um, then it gets worse. And then people start getting hurt. And, and it could be the citizenry. It can be personnel, combination of both. But then the individual suffers because he don't want to do something screwed up. Right. The organization suffers then the industry suffers. And, and that's, you know, I mean, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of chips to fall. Yeah. For one goofy thing because, well, I thought he could do it. And the recovery is uh, considerably longer than it, it, it takes to create that problem. It's, it's kind of the thing to where um, we need to be assured that before we say somebody can, we have confidence that they are capable. They have the capacity. Then say, "Yeah, we, we need you, so you can do it." Like, well, geez, if that's the case. Then <laughs> or you make me feel good, so you, I'll, I'll put you there. We can, we can have somebody. We can have a one week academy. <laughs> Here, pull the hose. Oh, you can do it. Okay, good. Yeah, good to go. Yeah, I, that's. Yeah. And I being awfully facetious or maybe sarcastic, but I, I think we just need to slow down and let things play out. I mean, twenty years—that's that's a long time. Well, so speaking of that, you know, uh, I think you did a, 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 a slow buildup from 1983 
2015 when you became an RTO. Oh. <laughs> and so uh, you, you, you finally finally uh, uh, decided to come down. Uh, I happened to be working at the academy at the time, and we're, we're going to hire four recruit classes in a year, which is kind of unprecedented. And uh, um, uh, Dave has always taught at the college and, and always – uh, you know, has been involved in that, and that, that's been a big part of his, you know, his career. And but we have a window where we're actually going to be able to deliver, uh, do a recruit class when he's not teaching. And uh, I, um, so he came down, and we're an RTO. I'd, I'd really like to hear your thoughts about what that was like. I was scared. I mean, it, um, <laughs> they loved you because oh, I talked yeah, to those kids. They fucking oh, yeah. loved, those, those recruits loved you. You know, I, I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I had never seriously thought about it because of the timing. Yeah. Um, and um, I just didn't, okay, I can share information. I can do some things relatively successfully. But <clears throat> being an RTO, I mean, it takes a different kinds of things. And so when I was offered the opportunity, you, um, I think you had the seniority. It was <laughs> yeah. barely, yeah, yeah uh-huh. barely had the seniority. And, and a lot of a lot of people did some things and made it possible because it was kind of ending a semester, coming into some things, and the yeah. academy already started. So uh, it, it, some people did some things to to cause that to happen. I'm very appreciative of that. You're kind of a big deal. I don't know hey, if you've me, heard. No, <laughs> no. Um, and so and so when I was offered that opportunity, I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to expect. And I just want to be one of the guys. And then, um, so I went down there and you just do what you do. And, and ironically, it's kind of interesting because I had no clue that I wouldn't really be teaching an engine company. I was assigned to one, but everybody teaches them. The village teaches. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I'm thinking, well, okay. I just didn't want to do anything wrong. I was scared to do the wrong thing. And so, and so it just worked out, and it followed other guys' lead, and I tried to keep my mouth shut um, and, and observe. I'm glad you didn't. And follow some things. Um, that was the scariest time for me. At 41 years old. I got 41 years on the job, basically. And you were, you were how old, Dave? 2015, so... Um, I, I have 62 in my head, but I don't know if that's right. Well, I'm 67 now, so... Six yeah, years. okay, yeah. 62. So six, 62, okay. You're a bad motherfucker. There's not many 62-year-old dudes that go down there. My uncle went down there and, uh, b- about that age and just kind of kind of the same deal. So, But he didn't look very good. Sorry, But in any case... Um, now it's a training situation, and things happen when you're when trucks are moving, and and that was always something that um, I was afraid of. I didn't want to tell somebody, his family member, that they got hurt and they got hurt bad, and and that's the kind of scare I'm talking about. Right. I, I totally get that yeah. feeling. Um, that's kind of my worst fear. There was a situation. One well, time. I was I was his <clears throat> son's RTO. So, oh shit. Uh, yeah, I, oh. I know what that feels like. I'm yeah. not. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to tell David that. Yeah, me as a captain did something stupid, and your yeah, son got hurt. That ain't sure. no way. Um, there was a training situation that happened where a hose separated, 
and an RTO uh, was injured. And um, we just we were going too fast, um, inattentive. And so um, once the problem occurred, the injury occurred, Captain Montano mitigated the, the emergent issue and created a safety environment. And then we talked about it after that, immediately after that. And I was not wanting to overstep my bounds, but I just, for whatever reason, felt it was necessary, hopefully appropriate. <clears throat> and so we had a discussion and I, I, wanna, I wanna remember that it wasn't yelling I prefer to think that it was assertively... It was crystal clear, <laughs> is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> um, and I hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings, but um, I wanted to make sure they understood the gravity of their mistake and what could have happened. And that that's what happens every day that you go to do an evolution, whether it be in the academy or whether it be on the fire ground. And, and that was it. And so, you know, I had a good time. It was I learned a lot. Um, I honestly wish I could have done more, but then we go back to the semester stuff. Yeah, and that's a, it just to hear you talk, it just kind of amazed me because you're like, I learned a lot. I'm like, you learned a lot. Like, yeah. yeah at, 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 with that much time, seeing that much stuff, be, being on a busy truck, because Station 17 is one, one of the busier trucks in the city, and you and you spent 35-plus years on that? Or no, 30-ish, like whatever. It's the Biltmore Ghetto. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, that, first, that first do is gigantic. Cause anytime... I've ever worked there, and and I and I'll uh, I'm like I'm always amazed at how big it is. Because I don't know if you know this, but like when I became an engineer, I got balanced day shift. So sometimes at station three there for that whole time. Um, and and when the captain's list came out, they they had an engineer spot open at seventeen. So I immediately called Dave so I could get back to B shift because I had zero 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 interest in roving on A shift. So I'm like, hey, here's the deal. This you know this this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get back to B shift, and in classic Dave fashion, he's like, "Yeah, I support it. Talk to the crew, and then if they're good with it, like I'm fine with it." So I immediately jump ship, go there, and I only—I think I rode back in there two, two or three times as a captain, like to work there. But I was always amazed at how big that area was and the diverse mm -hmm. clientele you're dealing with, because you're dealing Truly. with people that may have, you know, a, like a three or four million dollar house, and then you're also going to all the shithole apartments there, dealing with all those Section Eight deals. So to be able to run the gamut of what you're working with and like how you're dealing with it it's it's not an easy place to work and and and, and you've probably seen how many crews come through there seven eight crews that you've had since yeah you, we've since had several people um you know and that's just the thing i mean a lot of people a lot of people were kind enough to consider coming to work there after we talked about expectation and and you know they were good and some people um stayed and some people didn't stay so long yeah but you're right it's pretty diverse and you i mean <laughs> you can choose the word after filthy yeah but it's all there i mean <laughs> physically filthy hygienically filthy <laughs> psychologically filthy <laughs> financially filthy rich <laughs> uh, you know whatever <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's pretty diverse and and it, <laughs> in every one of those aspects there's always been some kind of humor, some kind of lesson learned, some kind of tragedy, and it's just, it was just interesting. You didn't know what's going to happen, and then 
like what you say when you go back to the station, you got a crew that just seems to gel and have fun and, you know, do whatever we do in the station and have fun. And even on calls, you can have fun, but when it's time not to have fun, then you got to get to work, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, so it was a <clears> unique <throat> environment because uh, so the utility trucks there, there was an ambulance there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was part-time. Sometimes it was full-time. Right. It was in and out. Right. I, I remember that. And then we would go to fires. Uh, I remember a specific fire uh, we had over uh, on the on the, uh, on the the edge of Can or, uh, Squaw Peak. Uh, well, I don't think it's called Squaw Peak anymore. It's past what peak. peak. Yeah, yeah you're so, a racist. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, so we, have, we we got a legitimate house burning over there. And uh, Utility 17 used to go on all the fires, like, <laughs> like, okay. like from the get-go. Right. And, uh, and we get there, and it's me and Kenny are the firefighters, and Dave and it might have been Danny Wick. It might have been Don June even driving. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. But... Uh, um, I had never seen a utility truck driver pull up behind the engine. Uh, he, David would take our plug regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and in this particular one, and uh, so anybody who knows or worked with David Zoha, he was a bigger fella. Oh, yeah. Right? He but, worked at 20 but, when I was a booter. Yeah. And he, but, oh, yeah. But yeah. he had the feet of a ballerina. And uh, <laughs> and I watched him fly off that rig, go blowing across that front door, and blast this set a big wooden double doors open with a with a badass mule kick <laughs> and i'm like wow that was that was cool <laughs> and we're pulling lines and we go in and it was actually a hell of a fire and i and i, and I think that might have been one of the fires where kenny silas said he had to put all of us on his shoulders and, and you know carry us through the whole fire <laughs> yes. you know because we wouldn't have known what to do without yeah, kenny I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh -huh. yeah. and uh sounds yeah like a, sounds like a big personality but nobody the, <laughs> yeah. we didn't we didn't have i didn't experience those that level of everybody getting after it in their own and kind of in their own way yeah. um uh, like it i zoha remember zoha going on ems calls and i remember zoha you know everybody was engaged whether you were it, traditionally that was part of what you did or you, you didn't and and we got along and well, that's a sign of a good crew nobody wants to miss anything no yeah right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah everybody wants to be right there mm -hmm. like I'm, i don't miss out on this oh, fuck yeah. that so yeah i feel like uh so we're about two hours in yeah right now i don't feel like this is enough time no, I got yeah, I got so, some more questions. Yeah, what I what what I want to ask is, will you come back? Because sure. we just barely scratched the surface of <laughs> of everything. Because yeah. we got like a cursory of it, but like there's some specific shit I want to ask. I'm sure you do too. And we're gonna run into four hours if we if we do it. So I want to bring you back. A reel to reel is gonna run out of tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's how we do it here. Uh -huh. All right. I mean, the B squad only brought a fucking two, <laughs> two hour SD card anyway. So, so <laughs> no, I'm just joking. So, so it doesn't matter. But, but I do want to bring you back because there's more. There's more that I want to ask. I just don't think we're gonna do it justice if we try and rush through it. What do you think? No, I'm you down I'm with that. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm totally down with it. Okay. As long as Dave's get, Dave good. got the time and energy, yeah, no, we'll, yeah. we'll send the uh, the uh, make the difference podcast limousine over to pick you up. <laughs> yeah, get okay. you over here, and it, yeah, it, it's a maverick. Um, <laughs> we're upgrading to a Pinto soon. Yeah. Uh, we just have the clutch <laughs> fixed. It's a lot smoother. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good thing too. We'll put out some feelers for some questions because there's like 
I know a handful of, of people in my era that have worked with you, and everybody says the same, same thing about Dave. Like the Dan Kiwis and Scott Hollingsworth, all they just love you to fucking death. And <laughs> I mean, those guys, they yeah. do. I mean, they're like I like I wish. That's a good idea. We're, we will reach out to some of those guys and ask for those questions because I know they have questions. Because I still have more questions too. But <laughs> there is one question I do want to ask you before we get out of here. If you could talk to your uh-huh. self back when you got hired. Yeah, your 1973 yeah. self. Right now, what would you tell yourself? Oh. Because I'm sure everything you told Chris just fucking went out the door, so that doesn't... <laughs> Just kidding, Chris. I'm the, I'm and a, sorry, Corny, for making fun of your hair. I'm the bad example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, Maybe we start with that one next okay. time. Yeah. Maybe we start with that one next oh, time. Oh, yeah, because I got all kinds of questions, because Dave's one of the very few people left on the job that worked for somebody before Alan Bernasini. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, and, and, and hey, listen, I'm... I'm I, I, I like to think I sit in the front row of the Alan Bernasini fan club, but I also know that that time wasn't perfect and that time was hard. And there was actually legit cha- organizational challenges that, that Dave saw uh, along with the positivity. Right. So, right, right. so I, I think that's important for our guys to remember because it, it wasn't just 30 years of roses and rainbows and, and all that. And, and, and it's not going to be moving forward for anybody. So I, I think there's, there's something to talk about there. Okay. Well, because there's other questions I want to ask, but like about like specifically into like how did you develop your crews? Like what like what issues did you have? How did you handle conflict resolution? Like there's all kinds of shit that I want to ask them. Like there's just the, yeah, there's so much in that brain, and we want to pull it out of that thing. Okay. Yeah, as long as you're careful. Game. careful yeah. <laughs> careful what you ask for. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> you look in there, you might be scared. <laughs> uh, you know who raised me on this job, so. <laughs> For even one second. Matter of fact, um, uh, we, yeah, let's figure out. Yeah, so let's, we'll, yeah, we can wrap this up right now and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some specific things and we'll have some specific questions. And um, I got another idea that I'm going to float to you guys as soon as we turn this tape off, but uh, <laughs> just leave it as a surprise for, for, for anybody going to listen to this. Is sure. there anything that you, you want to say, add before we finish part one of Dave Sanchez? I love this. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking no, awesome. No, it's, it's like it's fuck good. somebody or anything like that. <laughs> no, get I, appreci- I really I appreciate the opportunity, and that's just that's just it. I mean, if anybody would say that I had a good plan, that would include myself. That'd be crazy because a lot of stuff that in my career it just kind of occurred, and so it's being in the right place at the right time with the right stuff. I mean, as prepared as you can be. But without, yeah, I'm going to have this lined up, and that's what's going to happen. And it's crazy. I mean, teaching was just, (laughs) the reason I got into teaching was because when I was on Rescue with Dale Brandt, a deputy chief named George Oates, I don't know if you know him, he told us, you guys eat lunch, you got to be at the academy you're teaching. What do you teach? What yeah. are we teaching? He said CPR to the to the staff. We don't know to teach CPR. We both look at each other like, this guy clowning us or what? Yeah, this is and before so, you're a medic. No, well, I was just a medic. Oh yeah, you guys are geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> well, so he thought. 
And so, and so he said, we don't know. He says, are you medics? His words. Yeah. Are you paramedics? Yeah. Do you know how to do CPR? Yeah. Then you're teaching at one o'clock. Yes, and that's sir. exactly how we got into it. No plan, no forethought, no desire, no ambition, no nothing. Order from the chief. Okay, we got to do it. And then, for whatever reason, because we were acting real dumb, probably, they had us back and back and back and back. And that's how this whole thing evolved. So I, you know, I mean, I didn't plan on being a teacher. I, I hate public speaking. I really do. How many years have you taught in the uh, Maricopa County College District? As an adjunct since 81. Okay. And as a resident since 2000. So. Yeah. It's awesome. It's good time, man. So, yeah, there's a lot in there. I'll let okay. you close this out. And then, yeah, but yeah so we, we got to have you back. I'm like, there's okay. just, I'm just like, we're yeah. barely, t- I'm like, yeah, there's I'm happy just, to do just it. Thank no you for the, thank you for yeah. the consideration, really. Yeah, we greatly appreciate it. And thanks for the time today and, and, and agreeing to our cockamamie ideas moving forward. <laughs> yeah, for and, sure. And uh, um, so yeah. it's, it's meant a ton to me and it, and it continue to mean a ton. Um, but I also know there's going to be a lot of people who, who are on the job specifically, and even people who are, aren't on our job, they're going to, a lot of what you're talking about is going to resonate to other people. There's a reason this, this thing that we've got going on is called make the difference. Cause it's actually, we're trying to focus on people and, and things that actually make a difference. And I, and I think this and everything you've been talking about legitimately does that. So there's a common yeah. theme too, with, with, with all the guys that come in here that think they have nothing to offer, but the, you, you guys actually have the most, most to every offer. single time. Yeah. Like all the senior dudes, like we don't have anything to offer. I'm like, and you have so much to offer like and that's where that's where it's hard for you guys to make the connection but it's like you guys have so much to offer to not only me and chris but to a whole i mean i think what well, i think we're probably up to 12 listeners now so yeah yeah we, <laughs> we we're pretty sure we're over double digits yeah yeah, yeah. So, so if there's anybody yeah. you know yeah might get us to 15 yeah tell yeah, <laughs> yeah. please yeah. please uh-huh. please uh tell them about yeah. it yeah so <laughs> cool thank you very much thank uh, you we uh uh yeah, you can find us wherever you find the best podcasts available. And uh, look forward to it, and we'll, uh, we'll see you again. Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howes, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, Using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders, your vision, their experience delivered.